thinking biblically about angels and demons, demonology and the occult. First time in um, the time I've ever preached, I've ever taught on this subject and um, having been immersed in it for a little while, uh, getting ready for this, um, I think we probably should talk about it more often. Um, it's interesting, the uh, Barna Research Group in the US carried out a uh, research in 2004. 50% of believers do not believe the devil exists. 50% in North America. devil does not exist. And so um, I'm going to share my journey to start off with. Um, Satan always, equivalent to me, is fire and death. I was brought up an Irish Catholic boy and... Uh, Satan was where you would never want to go. It was the demon and you don't go there. And so in our little journey of our um, little village, um, we used to have the thing called the Wanneroo Show. And it was the little show and everybody came and they would have these psychic tents and I could vividly remember Mother grabbing me by the hand and taking this huge walk away from that tent. We don't go there because that's where the devil is. But my mum was nuts. What is, what is she going on about here? And of course, that was, that was the way that we were brought up and that was the way we were told. And then when I got into being you know, one of those middle-aged teenagers... Um, I used to go to an all-boys Catholic school, which was good, it was safe. And then we used to catch the bus. So there was Chilt Hill High School there and there was St Philip's where I went and we used to go down the middle, meet in the middle of the Chilt Hill High School and catch the bus together back out to Wanneroo, which was like a 17-kilometre, um, 27-kilometre drive. And, of course, you mix in with all the Chilt Hill High School state school people and um, I'm a very impressionable 15, 16-year-old boy and get down the back of the bus where all the good boys hang out and the, you know, a girl says to you, what star sign are you? What? What do you mean, what star sign am I? Well, what star sign are you? I have no idea. What's your birthday? Oh, June 21st. Oh, you're a Gemini. I'm a what? You're a Gemini. <gasps> Worse, you're on the cusp. What do you mean I'm on the cusp? What are, you, what are you saying? Well, you're a Gemini and you can be a Cancer. Oh, and we can't have a relationship. Why not? Because I'm a Sagittarian. Oh, what, is, what, is, what, is, what is this about? I mean, I was just in little old Wanneroo, little naive little place. What's going on here? And of course, you know, then not long after that, I hear about this Ouija board. And a seance. Pete, you've got you to get to a seance. What happens there? Oh, you talk to the dead. You talk to the dead. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. This guy holds your whole list in there and it spelled, the widget book spells out words for you. It's the dead people talking to you. So, oh, 
what oh, I ain't going there. You've got to be kidding me. I'm not allowed to even go through a graveyard at night in case I bump into somebody. That's just a no. I love graveyards, but I go during the day because I've been educated. You'd never go in a graveyard at night. It's not good. Psalm 16, 17, becoming a wise young man. And then in 1973, when I'm an impressionable 18-year-old fella who up until this time had understood the scriptures from a Catholic point of view and saw, read all these things and thought, oh, they're amazing, that stuff in those scriptures, they're amazing. And so someone talked me into going to watch this movie. I didn't sleep for three weeks. It was awful. Because what it had done, it was only a movie, but what it had done, it made this devil possession live in my head. Up until then, I could dream about it and think what it might look like. But this is real. And the Catholic priest came in to fix all this. And I know a lot of Catholic priests when I'm 18. And the Catholics are brilliant at exorcism. They're the experts. And from that point forward, I stayed away. Anything equivalent to this, or I ain't going there. Not my cup of tea. Just avoid that. I don't want to go there. And of course, I was reminded in Jude 1 verse 9, but when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment and said, the Lord rebuke you. This is the great archangel Michael, the prince of Israel, the mighty one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16 says, when Jesus comes back again, He's coming with the voice of an archangel. This is one powerful dude. And of course he's seeing all these people blaspheming the heavenlies. And Michael says, oh, I ain't doing that. God, that's your area. I'm not going to blaspheme Satan. I'm not going to take judgment on Satan. That's God's department. So he was very aware of the power of Satan. So how did all this start? Right? I've got a lot of scriptures, so I'm not going to read them all, but we'll just talk them through. See, it all started in this lovely place called the Garden of Eden. And when God created the Garden of Eden, he just, he just made a uh, couple of instructions. One was the tree of life. Um, and then the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Two beautiful trees. And then he says to um, Adam, mate, you, you, can, you can eat of any tree you like, any tree, but do not, do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I mean, you and I would be sitting there thinking, Eat the tree of life, but I want to live forever. Right? No. 
Well, you see what happens here. So in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to um, 13, we find out the introduction um, of Satan. But notice this. This is Satan saying to Eve. Well, first of all, Eve says she understands God's command. She says, God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. So she knows that. Hmm? Um, but then we notice what the serpent does. Oh, that's not right. <laughs> Why would he do that? Why would he do that? He gets into her ear, right? Um, and then creates doubt. Creates doubt. That can't be right. And, and, then, you, and then you see what happens. She starts saying, oh, that fruit looks really good. That fruit looks fantastic. No, no, no. What about the fruit on the tree of life? Not even looking at that. Right? Um, and... It looks good. I want to be wise. See how she's looking all about me. I want to be wise. The fruit looks good. It's becoming about her. And then she says, when God finds out, and they find out, you know, we're naked. And God says, how did you find that out? Well, we know now that we're naked. And then she says, the serpent deceived me. So the serpent had a challenge. I'm going to deceive you in all this. And of course, when we look at the serpent, we'll come back to this, two things that God uses in his word to describe me, more crafty than any other beast of the field. And he's deceiving, he's deceptive. Huh? That's what he is. And of course then what happens? They're banished from the garden and then God says, well, you're not going to get the tree of life just in case you think you're going to reach out there and get some. No. He's banned them and he puts an angel at the gate to make sure they never get back in there. So we missed the opportunity of the tree of life thanks to Satan. Huh? And now we have this dilemma. We have, we know, good and evil. We're just like Eve. You know, he's whispering in our ear about, ah, oh, that can't be right. You know, do this, look at this, look, look at the things, look about yourself. Right? So the question we've got to ask ourselves, so where is he now? He was in the Garden of Eden a minute ago. Well, we saw there that God banished him out. So where is he hanging around now? Well, there's a passage in Ezekiel, which I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's talking about the king of Tyre. And why I find this interesting is because he talks about the king of Tyre um, being in the Garden of Eden. Now, you and I both know the king of Tyre was actually born on earth and he comes from people. But it's symbolic language. And what's interesting is he writes here in verse 15, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profound thing from the mountain of God. 
And I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom from the sake of your splendour. I cast you to the ground. I expose you before kings to feast their eyes on you. So we see he's been cast out from the heavenlies. God says, well, you're out. You're not here anymore. Okay? And then we go into um, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. And then we have another passage. This is Jesus now saying in Luke chapter 10 and verse 18, and he said to them, I saw, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. This is Jesus telling us. He's, he's down. He's out of heaven. Huh? And then Revelation, again, the great, mighty Archangel Michael. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth. And his angels, that's not just him, and his angels were thrown down with him. He's here. There is no doubt about that. Okay? So next question uh, we've got to ask ourselves, what's he doing down here? What's he here for? Well, it's interesting, a couple of passages, Job. I'm not going to read the whole story about Job. But you know, Satan was allowed to get at him. This is on earth. And what does Satan do? He used the Chaldeans. He used other people. Killed all his family. Not only that, killed all his sheep. The whole lot. Wiped him out. Put blisters all of his body. I just can't imagine all those things going on. And you get to verse 22. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. How often do we have a problem and we think, why me? Why me, God? Why are you picking on me? Completely wiped him out. Thank you, Satan. The evil man. On earth this happened. On earth. So what power have they got? On earth. Well, they use evil people to harm you. Does happen in Job's case? They use good people to discourage you. 
He had some good friends. And they all come around and got in his ear and said, Oh, Job, you naughty boy. You've upset God. Casting doubt. Where does that come from? Casting doubt in his relationship with God. It can make you sick. He uses nature or disguises themselves as an act of nature. We're talking about one powerful person here that can use nature to destroy us. Destroys your properties and possessions at a whim. And it can kill you and those you love. That's who we're dealing with. And make no mistake, you see, because even, even Jesus had to deal with it. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, then Jesus, was, look at this, was led up by the Spirit. This is, this is God taking him along on the journey. To be tempted by the devil. Jesus is walking on the earth, do not forget. And there's the devil. But look at verse 8. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, All these I will give you. You and I said, Hang on. God, you own all that? No. Satan is the ruler of the earth. Here he is saying to Jesus, you can, you can have all this. That's, that's, who, that's who we're dealing with. And then we get Matthew chapter 8. Now, this is interesting here because And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs. See, don't go through gravesites. Not good. Um, So fierce that no one could pass that way. Look at this. They recognised Jesus. What have you to do with us, O Son of God? They know who he is. And of course, as you know, he tells the demons to get out and go in the pigs and go everywhere else. But what's more important is verse 33. The herdsmen fled. They bolted. Going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. They were petrified of that area. They would never go there. These are witnesses to what happened on the earth. And God's put it in here for us to understand our witnesses. This actually happened. And of course, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. I don't want they don't want any demon botherers. They don't want they don't want any of that stuff. Huh? We, don't, we don't want that. And, and we'll come back to that because that comes under getting tradition and the world. So, what's, what's, all, what's all this about? 
That's what it's about. He wants you. His whole journey on this earth is to get each of you on his side. Huh? And so you might ask the question, well, uh, you know, uh, how's he going to do that? How's he going to get you and I? Well, let's just have a look at a couple of things here. Um, firstly, the name Satan is derived from the Hebrew. Satan, which means adversary, opponent, accuser, or an opposing party. The one who hinders a purpose. And, and what purpose do we have in life? Spreading the word of God. God wants all mankind to be saved. That's his purpose. And Satan's sole job is to stop that happening. So you see the other names that he gets called throughout scripture, the shining one or Lucifer, the evil one, the tempter, the devil, the God of this world, the accuser of the brethren. He accuses us. He's going to be whispering to all those people out there, don't go over there, they're a naughty mob. Casting doubt, accusing the brethren. The prince of the power of the air, the serpent, the great red dragon. John chapter 8, a murderer and a liar. A murderer and a liar, that's who we're dealing with. And he's compared to a lion that prowls about looking for someone to devour. He's trying, to, he's trying to get us. He's trying to, that's his job. He wants to get us. He wants to devour us. And the one who disguises himself as an angel of light, even. We're talking about someone who is shrewd, cunning, deceitful, and crafty. So how does he, how does he get us? Was I, I could talk about this for hours because I can tell you the whole pile of stuff on it. But you've got mediums and divination, the occult, astrology I've talked about, heathenism, Wicca, witchcraft, which is personified Satan, paganism, fortune telling, sorcery, Judaism, spiritualism, New Age. So if you go to the New Age and you, try, you investigate them, they talk about wonderful. Oh, we, we are so concerned about creation. We admire creation, but absolutely no talk of the creator. They can't see the creation and God's creator because they're just worshipping the trees. And so dealing with the, the dead, a passage here from, from Samuel um, and Saul is concerned about himself and what's happening in his life and where things are going for him. And so he decides to disguise himself and go talk to a medium. And he goes to me and says, I want you to divine for me by a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. And the poor old woman said, surely 
You know what Saul has done. Now he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for me, my life, to bring about my death? But see what he does next. He says, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. This is Saul, the king. He knows better. And the woman said, who shall I bring up for you? He said, bring up Samuel. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? She says, I saw a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped in a robe and Saul knew that it was Samuel and he bowed his face to the ground and paid homage. You see, when you and I read that, we try and envisage what that might look like and I just don't think we see it in reality. We we kind of dream what that might look like. It's like a, you know, Casper and the ghosts. That's what what we think of. But here, Samuel's come out of the earth. Look at verse 15. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? This is Samuel, one of God's greatest men. Why have you disturbed me? Samuel was a good fella. Can you imagine what it was like? It was a bad one. And that happens on the earth. And of course Saul did this knowing that in Leviticus a man or a woman who is a medium or a necromancer shall surely be put to death. They shall be stoned with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. And of course then you have passage from Deuteronomy. 18, 10 to 14. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer. These are the people that go talk to the dead. They're the seances. They're the Ouija boards. They're the occult. They're the witchcraft. They're the wickets. And we might say... That's very interesting, talking to the dead. Who would I like to talk to? Well, rest assured, don't go there. You do not know what you're dealing with. That's the challenge. And for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out of the, before you. This is the land that they were all doing it. And God says, I'm going to get rid of all them. You shall be blameless before the God your God. For these nations which you are about to dispose, listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. Astrology. It's in the paper every day. It's in your face. And here's God saying, don't listen to them. How many people do you hear talking about astrology? Oh, you're a Gemini, you're an Aries, whatever.
here is astrology more um, effectively. All the counsel, says in Isaiah, you have received has only worn you out. Let your astrologers come forward. These stargazers who make predictions month by month, let them save you from what is coming to you. Yeah, straight mention astrology. So what does that what does that mean for us today? So if you were trying to be um, deceitful or crafty or trying to find some way to get to people, how might you do that? I'm just going to share with you Halloween. For those of you who are not familiar with its history, in Ireland, where my family history comes from, it's called Satan's Watch. It's celebrated on one night a year. And do you know why? Because back in the really old Celtic days, it was a night in which the people allowed the devil in. So you can come this night, you can molest our people, and they did that in the hope that after that night, the devil would leave them alone for the rest of the year. Good luck with that. But that's its origins. And of course we think, well, you know, Pete, it's lollies. I understand all that, trick or treat. Oh, well, let's go back to when this all started. Yeah, I ain't no trick or treating. This is, this is, this was, these guys come up with the way and say, look, okay, Satan, we'll give you one night this year and then you stay away. So if you were going to try and be deceitful, would you not find a way to get to people? We're a renowned game. Um, just let me say this. I'm going to make no judgment. But when you have names like Moloch, he was a fire god, and they offered children to him in Old Testament times. They have Baal. They offered human sacrifices to him. They have Inicus, a demon-possessed person who did nothing else but sexual immorality. They have Belial, they have Diana. Names that you and I would be saying, or we wouldn't even name our children by those names. But here we are, one of the world-renowned games, Dungeons and Dragons, playing with these names. It's only a game, Pete. Yes, I understand it's only a game. But do you know carrot, tarot cards? Another good Catholic country. It was invented in the 1400s in Italy. 78 cards, and it, had, it, was, it, was, a, it was a games. That's all it was, card game. In the 1700s, the occult got hold of it 
and they started putting spiritual symbols on the cult, on the tarot cards. And they started using it for their purposes. But it's a game. Yes, it is a game. But this is someone whose whole agenda in life is to deceive us. And for me, it was always death and burning fire to go anywhere near that. And Growing up as a kid, you know, we'd go to the newsagent and when you looked at the newsagent, there was all these books covered in brown paper. Some of the old folk here will remember that. That was pornography and kids and later put their eyes on that. Go to the newsagent today. What's it called? Soft pornography. <laughs> Soft pornography. What has happened? What has happened? Oh, we've allowed it to be watered down. That's terminology for adultery. We don't use adultery. Oh, they had a relationship. It's adultery. That's what God called it. God calls pornography sexual in a marriage. Oh, but no, we want to call it soft porn. <laughs> Easier to sell. Where do you think that comes from? Is someone trying to get into our heads and make this all acceptable? Oh, I suspect so. Lo and behold, in 2024, the University of Exeter is going to offer a master's degree in magic and the occult. Starting next year. Find your way to England and learn all about it. That would never, ever have happened 50, 20, probably 15 years ago. But now we have a university where you can go learn all that stuff and get tangled in it. What are we doing? What are we doing? Well, I want to go back to Jude, because it's just, it's rich. We could, we could spend weeks on this, but I can't. Um, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. It's us. It's us. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I find it necessary to write appealing to you to contend the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Look at this, writing to Christians. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. If, if, if we think for a minute it only happens back then, we've got to be kidding ourselves. And of course the message from there is, what next? Talks about the, yeah, we talked about the archangel. Um, he gets rebuked by the Lord. And then we go to Ephesians. What do we do? 
that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Paul saying, this is real. This is Ephesus. This is no more than 2,000 years ago. This is real. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That's not me taking on the big unit over there. It's not about that. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over these present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And then Paul gives our solution, put on the whole armour of God. We need to be encouraging each other to put on the whole armour of God. And of course then he finishes off praying at all times in the spirit in verse 18 and all prayer and supplication. To that end, to that end, keep alert. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. Those magic words, keep alert. You have a crafty, deceitful, shrewd person after you. All he wants to do is mess with your mind. I could give you so many stories about what I've read about what happens when he starts messing with people's minds. You really don't want to go there. Just be alert. And why do you need to be alert? Because he wants you. He just wants you. 